Welcome back to Becoming Your Best Version. I'm the host, Maria Leonard Olson. I'm an author, podcaster, obviously, radio show host, lawyer, mom of two adult children, mentor, active in the recovery community, and passionate about helping other women become their best versions. So today we have a special guest from across the country, from Seattle, loving the Zoom, Alicia Dara. She is a nationally recognized speech and presentation coach based in Seattle. She has helped thousands of people including CEOs, global vice presidents, executive directors, and presidential candidates break through blocks, find their power voice, and put it to work. Her most popular group training is called Power Voice for Career Women, which helps women strengthen their voices, clarify their messages, and push back against workplace sexism. Corporate clients include Microsoft, where she is a vendor, Amazon, Kimpton Hotels, Planned Parenthood, The Riveter, and Carhartt. Private clients include the National Women's Political Caucus, the Female Founders Alliance, and members of Facebook, Merrill Lynch, Seattle Trade Commission, Windermere, and Twitter. Alicia is currently working on her first book, which will be about strengthening women's voices in the workplace. You can follow her on social media or check out her work at Alicia Dara. It'll be in the show notes, but A-L-I-C-I-A-D-A-R-A.com. Welcome, Alicia. Thanks, Maria. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it is the work that you're doing is impactful, important, as women continue to knock on and in many cases, break the glass ceiling, you are arming them with tools so they know what to do once once they're there. Mm -hmm. So tell Mm -hmm. us, how did you get started in this work, empowering women and teaching them how to find their voice? Sure. So I started out, I'm actually a trained uh, singer. I come from a family of classical musicians and I studied musical theater after high school. I am a trained singer and I started out teaching a lot of voice lessons here in the Seattle community in the 90s. And what began to happen is that a lot of my clients uh, had uh, opportunities presented to them at work where they'd have to give a work presentation or they'd have to give a speech at someone's wedding or they'd have to give some kind of public talk. And they would say, hey, Alicia, can you also coach me on this. And I had a lot of, you know, speech and diction training in theater school. And I would say, sure, no problem. And eventually that reputation sort of overtook the other one. And I pivoted. And at the same time, on a parallel track as my teaching and coaching, I was also uh, doing a lot of work as a citizen activist uh, for Planned Parenthood and other organizations that I believe in. And because of my training and background and my ease as a performer, I was often called on stage to give talks on behalf of those organizations. Right. So it about 10 years ago, it really occurred to me that what I really want to do as a feminist and as somebody who really believes in the power of women and women's voices to make a huge difference in the world was to pivot to working with women almost exclusively, which is, which is what I did again, almost 10 years ago. So bringing all of these things together has been uh, just a huge, tremendous uh, gift for me. And I, and I feel so lucky every single day that I get to do my job. Wow. That's wonderful that you found a way to blend your passions Mm -hmm. for the greater good. Mm -hmm. My son is a performer, TikTok star at Chris. 
who graduated from conservatory and his training in singing, performing has equipped him for a new career. Mm -hmm. And I love that you have found a way to marry your interests. Mm -hmm. So Alicia is a speech and presentation coach and her website is so rich with offerings. I consider myself a public speaker. I have gone on to your free offerings online and have found so many really helpful tips and videos about how to make a more effective presentation. I'm so glad. Well, what struck me though is, my gosh, why would anyone hire you when you have put <laughs> everything for free as a public service for women who, and anyone, frankly, anyone. who can look at your, your YouTube channel and learn how to be a fantastic public speaker? <laughs> why do you put so much online as opposed to having companies and individuals pay for these very important skills for which you could charge a, a high price. Oh, that's kind of you to say. And Maria, I want to say, I want to praise you as a public speaker because you're really extraordinary. And I have more to say about that as we get into this, but quickly to answer your question. You. Um, I believe that what I do isn't really worth it if it's just for a small exclusive group of women. So I work really hard to provide as much valuable content as I can so that the basic kind of skills are available to everybody who wants them. But I'm very fortunate at this point in my business because <clears throat> as I said before, I, um, I'm very lucky 95% of my business comes through referrals. Mm. And I work with a lot of high level uh, women. I work with a lot of high level managers and high level executives and women who are on that track, who wanna get to that place. And, you know, I've worked with thousands of career women from around the world and it's wonderful, but I also want to make sure that I am uh, contributing as much as I can. So I do a certain amount of pro bono and uh, low, low fee nonprofit work per year as well. So I can, I can reach as many women as possible. Well, I honor that. I think everyone has a responsibility to give back to their communities and I applaud your efforts because you're, you. you're really making a difference and using your skills to make the world a better place. Thank you. So getting into the nitty gritty of what makes a good public speaker, what is the most common mistake that you observe in your clients? Well, it, I wouldn't call it a mistake so much as a, as a lack of strategy. I think it, it always shocks me how, how, people, how people believe they can just sort of stand up and deliver a really effective, impactful speech without ever actually practicing. Mm. <laughs> so typically by the time clients come to me, they have given it their best shot and they've, you know, they, someone gave them, you know, a huge work presentation that they were supposed to lead and they worked so hard. This is really typical. They worked so hard on the slide deck and the content and they work and work on it. And then the night before they'll run through it two or three times. They don't sleep at night because they're horribly anxious. They wake up in the morning and they try to give it their best shot and it just does not go over. They don't, they stumble. They just lose focus. They're really nervous and anxious. They're not really in control of the narrative, if you will, because they haven't really practiced. Mm. So a lot of what I do with my clients is I work with them to assess what their skills and weaknesses are. And then we craft an actual practice routine with dedicated skills that they can continue to work on. Your voice, as I'm sure your son would tell you, or any singer or performer will tell you, as much as we would like to believe that these talents are ingrained in us and they're instinctive and they'll be there forever. Um, some of that may be true, but the cold hard fact is that in order to maintain these skills, you have to practice them. And it's important to remember also, anytime you see someone give 
an incredibly compelling TED talk like yours or a Thank political you. speech or, mm -hmm. or, you know, anytime you see a, a you know, like a, a, a baseball player knock it out of the park or you see somebody slam dunk the ball or you see an actor give an amazing performance, you're looking at thousands of hours of practice. I don't mean hundreds, I mean thousands of hours. So I'm usually asking my clients for like two 30 minute practice sessions per week for about eight weeks, you know, right. at a time. Right. Okay. But, but everybody improves with that amount, you know. Well, that so makes a lot of sense. That's like Malcolm Gladwell's The Tipping Point in yes. which I believe he said he had a figure for it, 11,000 times yes. to become yes. a master yes. at any given thing in the world. Absolutely agree, absolutely agree. Do you counsel your speaking clients to record themselves? Is that a good way to observe and practice? Oh, good question. So the short answer is yes. My qualified answer is that I don't advise anybody to record with video for the first couple of weeks that they're working on their presentation. Because okay. when you look at yourself and observe yourself and when you know you're being recorded visually, mm -hmm. it can be very triggering in terms of anxieties, in terms ah. of feelings of inadequacy. You know, right. too much visual information is not so good. In the beginning, we just want to do it by using a little app on your phone or whatever recording device, just so you can listen back. So you can practice what I call the four pillars of public speaking and you can practice different skills that we work on just to hear those things and be able to be to be more present somatically in the body right uh-huh and in the voice before we start adding the visual component which is certainly important but just like usually we take it easy in the beginning. building blocks so yeah. that makes sense you have a systematic plan for mm -hmm. your clients would you mind saying what the four pillars are oh sure i can cover those so the four pillars are pacing volume enunciation and clarity and generally speaking here, we're, we're going to talk in a very general way, most people need 30% more of each of those things. If you are, for example, a loud talker, I have a couple of clients who are loud talkers, they don't need to be 30%, you know, 30% louder than where they are is like a, a kind of disaster, you know, <laughs> but, but, you know, generally 30% more than social conversation. So 30% slower, 30% louder, 30% more enunciated and 30% more clarity. That's what you need. Interesting. I like that. Since I'm losing my hearing as a woman in midlife, my children say that I need a hearing aid and I can feel myself speaking more loudly as uh -huh. I age. Mm -hmm. That's a very interesting, the four pillar pillars. And I will study those more because I'm not sure which pillars I need to fortify, but I know I need some work. <laughs> so how does giving a public, public talk vary in the age of Zoom and other online platforms. So many yes. people are being called upon to give presentations online. Yes, it is a very good question. And I really had to pivot to the same medium. Before the pandemic, I was flying around all over the country working on groups for Microsoft and Amazon and all different mm -hmm. kinds of uh, startups and all different kinds of companies. Um, and I loved it. It was wonderful. Um, and really, I also had to pivot to these platforms. The thing that's important to keep in mind is that social science and really neuroscientists have observed that in these platforms, we're actually missing 75% of the nonverbal cues that we normally give and receive, like receive and transmit when we're together. Wow. That is a lot of missing information. 
Wow. So what that means, yeah. And you know, there's two kinds of human, basically two kinds of communication. There's verbal and nonverbal. So we're missing 75% of the nonverbal. So what this means is that the 25% that we can actually see and perceive on screen is absolutely crucial. So learning how to show up in these platforms on the screen and learning how to make the most of it to maximize your impact is definitely a skill. Learning how to harness the power of your voice which goes far beyond the four pillars. That's just sort of a basic level, but learning how to harness the power of your voice, the power of your messaging. Again, it's really just that everything is so much more limited and condensed. So you really need to have that much more impact. By the way, incidentally, supposedly this is why we feel so much more exhausted at the end of the day when we've had back-to-back-to-back Zoom meetings because our brains actually have to work 75% harder to make up for the missing information. So we really have to like home in on everything and focus, focus, focus. And it's a lot. Typically when we're in the room with each other, we are absorbing, we're receiving and transmitting unconsciously. And that's kind of how we're designed. It's wonderfully natural. We don't have to work that hard, but in these platforms, we really do. So this is why we're tired. We all need a nap at the end of the day. Wow. That is fascinating. I do notice that I've felt more tired after a day of Zoom conferencing. Definitely. Fascinating. Now I I know why. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you have pivoted and you teach women how to pivot. Mm -hmm. And I love that you are so dynamic in your offerings and that you are able to adapt like all of us have to in these strange times. Mm -hmm. So what, what advice can you give to our listeners who, many of whom are in my demographic in midlife, they don't really know what they want to do. They're a little bit shy about public speaking, but they know they have to learn how to be a public speaker in order to even interview to get back in the workforce. Yes. So how can one take baby steps to start building their conference confidence as a speaker to re-enter the workforce or pivot to a new career? What is maybe a little tidbit you can share? So the first thing I would say, I'll give you three little tips. The first thing is, is to really find support. So there are communities, you know, where women are looking to re-enter the workforce or they're looking to pivot from one job to another. Women Mm -hmm. your age and my age are in this bracket who are working together on this and finding those communities are really important. And I think it's a really good place. It's a really good um, idea to start within your own circle, to start Mm -hmm. immediately within your, within your circle and sort of radiate out from there. So building support is really important and building accountability. And tip number two would be practicing, which we just spoke about earlier, but building some accountability about practicing. So for example, if you were to get three women together who have the same goal of becoming better public speakers, and you were to say, okay, we're going to do, you know, two 30 minute practice sessions per week, we're each going to read, you know, a paragraph from an article in a magazine, and we're going to uh, coach a little bit, coach each other a little bit on the four pillars, that would be a good place to start. And the third tip I would say, obviously, is to get some coaching. Coaching is really, it's a valuable investment. I, I think there's a difference, you know, and I try to make this really clear to prospective clients. There is mm-hmm. a difference between coaches who offer kind of ephemeral offerings where you sort of show up and you do a couple of things and it feels good. And coaches who are really rooting for you to go deeply into your skills, to face your fears, to get over them and to become really, truly powerful. And that latter category is where I really try to dwell. <laughs> and that's wow. not for everybody, you know, that's yeah. not for everyone. Some people, they need a different kind of approach. Some people just need more time to get there. And some people just, you know, it's just not right for them. So, and that's fine. Then I'm not your coach. 
Well, I really appreciate that explanation and your approach because I have been to other coaches and people's approaches vary so widely. Yes. And I like that you are a full service, um, very deeply invested in your clients and that you offer tra group trainings for companies as well as private lessons packages for individuals yes. that you have a very flexible practice to meet the needs of so many people. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, really, really great offerings. Take a look at Alicia Dara, A-L-I-C-I-A-D-A-R-A.com. She also has a really powerful blog. And um, <laughs> I was just reading one, uh, your most recent one, which uh -huh, is about oh, yes. your parents who were professional symphony musicians. So mm -hmm. in Vancouver, Canada. Mm -hmm. And so you came from a long line, perhaps, of performers. I did on both sides. Yes. Right. So, so you have had exposure to the world, to the stage from an early age. Yes, indeed. And, and you're fortunate for that. And a lot of people listening may not have had those advantages. Mm -hmm. So if someone wants to learn more about the arts, I know this is an offbeat question. <laughs> what, what little tidbit or hint might you give to someone who thinks they might like to look at opera or symphony or plays, but feels a little intimidated by the whole thing. I remember the first time I went to a symphony, for instance, I, thank God I didn't clap, but between yeah. the movements, you're supposed yeah. to remain silent. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, yeah. So I don't know if you have an answer to that, but just reading your blog, it made me think about it, about, um, how intimidated I was at my first symphony. Sure. I mean, the it's interesting. The blog is actually, it, it's called The Biggest Mistake Ever Made. And it's actually a post, uh, it's, it's based on a true story of a woman that I met uh, through the symphony who was a cellist who actually made a mistake right in the middle of the music that the 2,600 person theater, the conductor and the entire 80 person symphony orchestra actually all heard. Oh, <laughs> and it was geez. about how she recovered from that. So that's what I, on my blog, I, I just to follow up with that, I, I uh, this year, my theme uh, with all my clients is resilience. And so mm. on my blog, I'm offering stories that are based on uh, true women that I have known who have extraordinary uh, experiences to share that have built resilience in many, many different ways. And it's funny, the response to the blog this year has been really off the charts, which is great. great. Um, so in answer to your question, what I would say is to give yourself a break. Um, it is true that the world of classical music in particular is very intimidating. Um, mm -hmm. It was made by a bunch of dead white guys. In the <laughs> sense, you know? <laughs> and there's like a whole kind of, you know, classical musicians, I, I always say that they're actually, they're actually kind of scholars of music. And in a, in a smaller way, they're actually kind of historians of music because mm. the art form itself is, is such an anachronism and is so, it's almost ancient. I mean, it's so old, it's almost ancient at this point. It goes beyond vintage or antique you know so it, it is it is very intimidating because it does follow it carries through the same social codes of performance that existed in those eras so what right. I would say is, is rather than throw yourself into the middle of a live concert in the mm -hmm. beginning to actually find some really good playlists that are like you know top oh. five Mozart arias you know top 10 Beethoven pieces you know top 10 cello suites or cello arias or whatever and just you know start cycling through and and what I always say to people about classical music is allow your emotion to really dictate your choices so classical mm. music is much more typically much more complex than pop music and it's very passionate and emotional it's very rich 
and, and like I said, very complex. And so somewhere in there are really powerful emotions and you're gonna feel connected to those emotions through that music if you give yourself a chance. But those, you know, top <sighs> five playlists or whatever, there's a reason, you know, Mozart was the prince of his day, I always yeah, say. You know? yeah. And he, he was, you know, everybody knew his songs, everybody played his music, everybody, you know, there were joke sort of, um, you know, skits about Mozart and the, and the various, you know, towns and city courts of Europe, you know, he was, he was like a celebrity. And so those are like the pop songs of the day. So start with Mozart, maybe. <laughs> I love that. I'm sure you were not expecting that question. I wasn't expecting that question. It just came to me and I, you gave a really wonderful answer. Oh, thank, thank you. I, I hope it was helpful. It was very helpful to me. So are you allowed to give us a preview about what your first book about strengthening women's voices in the workplace will be about? Are you allowed to talk about it? Okay, so here is what is happening. Okay. Uh, right at the beginning, this is the first time I've talked about this publicly, Maria. So here's a scoop. Woohoo! Yes. <laughs> um, so, right at the beginning of the pandemic, I actually secured a book agent. Mm -hmm. But due to circumstances beyond her control, she actually had to drop out of this project. So, I am, in fact, seeking now another agent to uh, take me through the process of this book. It is based on my work with thousands of career women from around the world. Mm -hmm. It involves many of the things we've spoken about today and many other things. I think of the book, my idea for the structure of the book and my outline is really that it is an active book. So it is not a book so much about reading so much as it is about acquiring new skills and practicing them and really mm -hmm. being able to apply them directly as you go through the book. So what I always tell people is no amount of TED, watching TED Talks or watching videos or reading books is going to make you a better public speaker. You really have to practice. You have to have solid, dedicated skills you can practice and you have to know how to do that. So that's part of the book. I'm also going to tell some amazing client stories of some people I've worked with. In my career, I've been so fortunate to work with just extraordinary women from around the world. And, and they've taught me at least as much as I've taught them. So those are some things I'm going to include. And I have some other, I have some other stuff I've been introducing with my clients in a more formal way. I've been doing this informally for five or six years, but mm -hmm. this year, later in the year, I'm going to start introducing this in a more formal way with my clients, which has to do with the concept of generating game-changing ideas. It's a little Ooh. bit separate from the book, but um, so women are not, I'll just speak briefly about that. Women are generally not socially conditioned to view ourselves as game changers in any right. industry ever. Right. And there are reasons for that. There are structural reasons for that. There are, you know, all kinds of patriarchal conditioning reasons for that. Yes. And, um, you know, it, it just goes on and on. And so I'm doing this new kind of programming and content with women that involves helping them connect to the, their, their self-image as being a game changer and then helping them find the language to communicate their game-changing ideas. Oh so some goodness. of that's going to be in the book too. Wow, I can't wait to read it. And yeah. you and I will have to talk offline about finding an agent, getting published. I love do it. some seminars on that. Would love to, yes. What do you think about organizations like Toastmasters? as a way to improve your public speaking? Oh, okay. I get this question a lot. So if you want to become a better public speaker, any kind of practice, dedicated, accountable practice and mm -hmm. dedicated, accountable critique, that's good quality critique, right? Constructive critique is good. The thing about Toastmasters for a lot of my clients is that um, many of my clients are dealing with intense sexism, racism, classism, transphobia, homophobia in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And those are issues that are affecting their ability to communicate and, and the way, so, so the content that they're communicating and the way they're able to communicate. 
So they're looking for environments where they can talk about those things and have those things be part of the, the learning or unlearning, if you will, um, that they get to work on. So right. Toastmasters is typically not really a place to do that. My clients want to be able to say to me, hey, this total jerk in my, in my team is constantly talking over me. He is constantly interrupting me. He holds his hand up in front of my face when I'm talking, oh what the heck do I do about this? You know? Right. And so that is a lot of the stuff that I am actually hired by companies to help them, to help women work on. Wow. Are you a psychologist as well? (laughs) And I, and I, that's funny. I I really try to be very clear about this. Coaching is not therapy. And and if I had a professor, excuse me, a critique of the profession of coaching in general, it would be Mm -hmm. that there are many coaches who are trying to act like therapists who are not, they're trying to practice therapy without a license. And there are many clients who are seeking coaching, but what they really need is therapy. What I, what I work on with them is just to hold space for them to be able to communicate those things. And then we work together to come up with scripted language that can really, uh, interrupt the interrupters, for example, or redirect the conversation if someone's taking it to a place that is not appropriate. And really just to help them understand how to put up really strong boundaries when they need to and to stick to those boundaries. I always say to my clients, <clears throat> when it comes to boundaries, what we allow is what we encourage. Mm. So this is why the language around boundaries is so important. And that's a big part of what we do as well. And these are skills that, you know, if you want to climb the corporate ladder, for example, or even if you just want to rise up in your company to a higher management level, these are really important skills you're going to have to have. Absolutely. My goodness. Uh, You're just giving so many gems that I'm writing down because I want to remember them. And I frequently journal about gems that I pick up during the day. Oh, great. And you are providing- I bet you have a gorgeous journal. You should publish your journal, Maria. I will. (laughs) I will indeed. I would read it. Thank you. So I know you sign a lot of non-disclosure agreements, so you can't speak specifics, but can you give in a broad brush stroke- an anecdote about one of your highest profile clients or famous clients. I mean, I know that you have helped coach presidential candidates and CEOs. So can you share one anecdote? Sure. So, excuse me. So I'll bring this back to the concept of, of being a game changer. Um, I have a client who was, and I tell this story quite frequently when I'm teaching the skill, I have a client about five or six years ago who was, uh, she is a high level Microsoft employee. She was called upon by uh, a very, uh, another very high profile Microsoft uh, uh, person who I shall not mention at the moment, but if I said his name, you would know who it was. And mm-hmm. she was called upon this person uh, to uh, uh, deliver essentially what was a report of some collated data, some amalgamated data that was the pet project of this leader. So this leader called upon her to do it. And he is very, very high up in the company. And it is a very, very big deal. So she was a referral from another client. She came to work with me for six weeks. We got that pitch deck up on its feet. We created a whole narrative. We did our whole talk all the way through it. And uh, they were going to fly her to Boston where the leader was, uh, was staying at the time. And they said, we want you to be in the room to present this data. She said, fine. The night before she flew out to Boston, she got a call from his office and they said, oh, hey, yeah, he's decided that he wants uh, this guy, I don't know, Brad so-and-so or whatever his name was, <gasps> to uh, deliver this data, but he still wants you in the room. So we still, we're still going to fly you out. She oh, said, all right, my fine. gosh. Yeah, you can imagine, right? You can imagine. So. Ugh. 
She shows up in the room and there is this leader and his staff. It's very intimidating, as you can imagine. And here is this other guy who she's never laid eyes on before, didn't even know existed. And he starts to spout off and he's talking about the data, the conclusion that he's come to from this report. Within the first 30 seconds, she told me she knew he not only had he not finished reading the report, but the conclusion he was uh, elaborating on, the conclusion he was relaying was in fact totally incorrect. Oh, my so goodness. she's sitting there and, you know, she's her face is getting redder and redder. And she said she must have looked like, you know, she was getting angry or something because the leader just abruptly turned to her and said, hey, what do you think about this? Is this correct? And she said, all due respect, sir, it is absolutely not correct. In fact, the data shows clearly that it is not A, B and C that we need to be focused on, but we need to train all of our eyes to X, Y and Z and we need to do it now. And she said that the staff had never seen anybody talk back to this guy that way or speak to him that way ever in the whole time they'd worked with him. So the meeting ended quickly and she was ushered out of the room. She called me, she said, I think I just got fired. I said, trust me, you didn't get fired. Everything's gonna be fine. I just knew in my bones it was gonna be fine. And the next week she got a call from his office telling her that from that moment on, she is the only person, and this is still true to this day, she's the only person who was allowed to present any data to him on this project ever. Oh my gosh, I love that story. Yeah. So all of you listening know that you can own your power and that Alicia can help you find this power <laughs> voice within. Well, I she did that it. on her own. I mean, I'm very proud of her, don't get me wrong, but she really did that on her own. And she and she came a long way because she's actually an academic. She's a very quiet, uh, uh, typically a very quiet natured person, but she, man, she really stood up for herself and she rocked it. And she's my idol. I just, I, I love telling that story. Well, thank you for sharing it with us. Yeah. So you've given me and our listeners a lot to think about, but I like to ask all of my guests, what do you do to become your best version? Without a doubt, what I do is to get quiet, introspective, and meditative every single morning, every mm -hmm. single morning. I don't even really know how to sort of be in the world without meditation. I've been meditating mm. every day since I was a teenager nice. in some form or another. In my 40s, I have definitely formalized this process a lot more because it has become so crucial for my uh, sense of inner well-being, mm -hmm. for my sense of equanimity, which is the state. I guess to me, my best self is really a state of equanimity, which yes. is a really simple way to think about it. It's like praise or blame. It's all the same. I try to be very, very steady no matter what happens. And that's very challenging, even just sort of on a, on a regular basis. But obviously during a pandemic, it gets a little harder. You know? yes. There's a lot of stress and the state of the world right now can be very scary. So for me, without a doubt, it's really getting alone and silent, deep breathing and meditation. And sometimes I will say, if a client shows up in a session with me and I can tell that she's really, really anxious, we'll mm -hmm. just start that session by just doing five or 10 slow, deep breaths, just to bring mind and body to the same place. Every time I teach a group training, I start with three or four uh, slow, deep breaths, just same thing, mind and body, the same place, just getting all that focus kind of coming online in the somatic body and just really being present as much as possible. Wow, that is advice all of us can use. Whenever I take deep breaths before entering a room, I come from a more centered place. Yes. And I need the reminder, though. I need the reminder. And I thank you for sharing your wealth of knowledge, 
pleasure. May I say, may I say one thing, Maria? Of course. Yes. I just wanted to say that I am so impressed by your story that you describe so beautifully when you tell it and all of the amazing books that you have written. I think you two are a truly service oriented person. And I want to say, especially, I want to really call out the fact that you have centered yourself as the protagonist of your story, which is the very thing that I am constantly coaching my clients and really all the women in my life to do. The more we can center ourselves in the narrative, the more that we can become the hero of our story and the protagonist of our story, the more personal agency we have going forward, the more we can really be, you know, the word empowered has become so I don't know, kind of cliche, but yes. there really is a state of being. And you know this because I think you embody this. There's a state of being where you have full ownership and full agency over your story and yourself. Oh. And I think you just embody that so beautifully. Well, I had to get a thank you. My goodness, that is such a compliment that and put in a way that no one has ever has ever told me. So I really am so almost, gosh, taken aback by that, by that those beautiful words. And <laughs> I thank you for that. Yeah. And I went through a very broken period in my life and mm -hmm. out of the ashes rose the phoenix, out of the mud came yes. the lotus. It's true. Um, it's a lot of really pain. true. You embody that. It's really true. I think your story is so inspirational. Thank you. And I encourage your, all your listeners, if, if you haven't heard it, go and listen to Maria's story. It's so beautiful. It's on your website, I think, your TED Talk, correct? It is. Or yeah. you can just Google TED Talk Maria Leonard Olson, and I could yeah. use more likes. So just hit that like button. It helps raise it in the algorithm so that more people can see it. And I truly believe it has the capacity to make other people not feel so alone in some of the trauma and other challenges that I have um, dealt with in my life. I absolutely agree. Yeah. Thank you. So go to Alicia Dara, A-L-I-C-I-A-D-A-R-A.com and learn more about this extraordinary coach and person who gives back, who makes the world a better place and teaches us all how to be better versions of ourselves. Thank you. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Maria. Thank you. Take care.